Philippians in chapter number uh, 4. <clears throat> Philippians in chapter number 4. <clears throat> now while you're making your way there, uh, I did want to say something uh, here tonight, just visiting with uh, uh, Brother Gary and just trying to uh, think through even things on Sunday night. And whether or not anybody here feels this way, I feel this way. So I want to make a statement about the business meeting on Sunday night. Uh, I feel like, I'm actually just going to read this so I don't mess it up again. But I feel like I fumbled Tim's uh, question that he gave uh, pretty badly concerning the salaries. And that was not my intention at all. Whether people in the church feel that way, I feel that way. And so I wasn't prepared like I was for that question with those specific numbers, and uh, we just hadn't taken the time to break all that down in previous years. And so, uh, honestly, I wasn't prepared and, and should have been because of the changes that were there. And to be honest, it's an awkward part of it. Um, the trustees are the ones who handle that. When we get to that part of the uh, budget, I say, I'm going to leave the room, and they take care of it, and it is uh, what the trustees do. So it's kind of an awkward thing. To be honest, I'd rather just do ministry and not even think about it, but it is a part of all of this. So I don't want to ever give the impression we're trying to have non-disclosures or trying to be uh, shrouding or hiding anything. That is not the personality of this pastor or this church. Uh, that really is not the idea behind it there. So um, as with any part of the budget or finances in general, we open under an open book policy, which means anybody who's a member here can ask to see stuff and we'll show you bank statements and walk through things and answer any questions uh, very much with that. And I do appreciate our trustees, uh, the men who have done it, uh, have just invested themselves. I appreciate every month them looking over that and pouring themselves into it and know what's going on in this church uh, financially. Very, very thankful for that. I also am thankful for a church that has a mindset to, to care for the staff of the church, and that, re that really is the heart behind it. I really can't tell you how much of a blessing that is. So all this to say, uh, just apologize for lack of preparedness uh, and the awkwardness uh, with addressing the question on Sunday. And so if you uh, need that uh, information, I've actually got some printouts in my office. Be happy to give you one of those. I printed out several of them. Uh, or you can text me, and I'll be happy to text you that information and get it to you there. Okay? Well, now that we're past that one again. All right. <laughs> Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians and chapter number 4. If you found your place there, let's stand together uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Philippians in chapter number 4. <clears throat> and let's start reading there in verse number 1. Verse 5 is our text. Uh, but we'll start reading there in verse number 1. Philippians 4 says, Therefore, obviously tying it to the rest of the book and what has been talked about, he says, My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Why so much loving language? Because you tell someone you love them before you give them a spanking, right? So verse number 2, he says, I beseech Iodias, and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Here's our verse for tonight. Let your moderation 
be known unto some men. No. Now, this is going to be really key here in just a moment, so catch this. All men. Because some people, in my estimation, as a fallen sinner, don't deserve my moderation. But my moderation is supposed to be known to all men. Okay? It's supposed to be evident to them all and experienced by them all. And then, of course, he says this, even if you think you're going to struggle with that idea, the Lord is at hand. God can help you have moderation to all men. So, title of the sermon here tonight, No Knee Jerking. No Knee Jerking. May God bless where you already You can be seated. And thank you for standing uh, in honor of the scriptures here tonight. <clears throat> uh, knee jerk reactions. Uh, they become a common place in our society and increasingly so. Um, the Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. An immediate, unthinking, emotional reaction produced by an event or statement to which a reaction person is highly sensitive. And I know how much that blessed your heart, so I'm going to use a, a more woke term, okay, for knee-jerking. You ready for this? Triggered. Have you all heard that term lately? Somebody is triggered, right? Somebody says something or somebody does something. And without thinking or without any prodding, there's just an immediate reaction to it. Okay? That's what we mean by a, a knee-jerk reaction or somebody who's just triggered. They have an immediate, unthinking, emotional reaction that's produced by some event or some statement that somebody says. So does that seem to fit in with our culture uh, today that people get triggered? Absolutely. Are you, yeah, you see the onset of uh, social media and Facebook and Twitter and, and the like that's out there. I don't even know all the ones that are out there nowadays. But I'm telling you, people will say stuff, and it's amazing to me, the responses and how people can be so quickly triggered, and they can respond with such hard and heavy uh, emotions. Uh, I don't know if you remember, oh, this has been probably four years ago now or so, uh, the Amber Geiger case. I don't know if anybody remembers that. The police officer who came home and uh, thought it was her residence and it was the a guy, it was another guy's home. She went in and shot him. And uh, obviously she found guilty and serving time and, and all that was involved with that. But it, it was amazing to me when all of that first happened, uh, when all of that took place, regardless of your opinions about it, uh, we're not talking about the outcome of a case here. As much as we are talking about people's response to the initial uh, event that took place. So there was this police officer who did this thing, and because it was a police officer, and there were different ethnicities involved, there were people who came to immediate conclusions without literally any facts being known, except for this. A police officer shot someone, and they were different ethnicities. Yep. And that was the only information that was known, and there was a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, it was incredible to hear the knee-jerk reaction. Uh, sometime after that, there was another case in which a woman was shot and killed in her Fort Worth home by an officer. And again, a knee-jerk reaction. I, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to justify any of these events, and if there was wrongdoing, there should be consequences. But I, I got on Facebook right after that had happened and, and wrote down some of the knee-jerk reaction statements that people had. Here's what somebody said. With just the information given... This happened with this person. There's no details beyond that. Somebody said, absolutely sad. 
prayers to her family and friends. I hope this officer gets punished to the fullest extent in more than 10 years. Somebody else said, here we go again. My God, who trains these people? If it's not even safe to be in your own home anymore, let alone on the streets. Now, again, there might be grounds for this, but I started looking at it and thinking this. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's without having all the information, there's just a statement or a visual or an event that happens, and there's an immediate jump to one extreme, just an immediate flying off the handle. Now, the term knee-jerk actually comes from your patellar here, in which the doctor comes in with that tendon. If you haven't ever had that done before, you're missing out in life. And he has you sit up on the, the doctor's bench there, and he takes that goofy hammer that he's got, and your legs just dangling there. First time this happens when you're a kid, let's be honest, you thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. And you went home, and you were sitting there trying to reproduce that same thing. And, and they hit that little tendon there, that, right there by the patella, you know, and it makes your, your leg just go, I didn't do that. What happened there? And you think, I didn't think about it. I didn't have to come up with a, a decision. I'm going to move my leg. It just happened. How cool is that? Well, that's where the phrase knee-jerk reaction comes from. It's this response, hey, I don't have to think about it. I don't, I don't have to process the information. I'm just presented with an event. I'm presented with something that happened. I'm presented with something somebody said. And without thought or consideration, I had a reaction. That's what a knee-jerk reaction is. It's a, a, an emotional and oftentimes even verbal and physical response to some stimulus in your life. Now, before we um, jump on the case of society, which we could do that. Uh, I'm telling you, we, we could talk a lot about uh, political stuff and social things and go down the list of all the knee-jerking issues that happen in our world But I'd like to take just a moment here tonight, as Paul does, and talk about how quick we can be to knee-jerk right in Bible Baptist Church. And how quick we can be because of something somebody said or something somebody did that we can respond without really giving opportunity for that person to explain themselves or really thinking through what just took place. An immediate response, a knee-jerk reaction. Now, in verse number one, again, as we already talked about, uh, just by way of review, get us all on the same page here. Verse number one, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now, turn around, you're going to get a spanking, okay? That's basically what's going on because there's a problem. And Paul, being the right kind of man of God, says, if there's an issue, I'm going to confront this head on. I'm not just going to leave it to be swept under the rug or forget about it like there's not an issue. Let's deal with the problem at hand. So he says, there's two ladies in the church, Eodius and Sintichi. And they are having some type of issue that now has boiled over to a conflict between two individuals. And it now has infiltrated the whole body. The whole church there in Philippi is being affected by these two ladies having a fight with one another. You say, well, what were they fighting over? I have no idea. I wish I did. Wouldn't that be great if that was recorded in the Bible? You know, just get all the, the, the gooey details. The, the, the gossiping part of my heart wants to say, lay it on me. I want to pray for them, right? <laughs> Give me the prayer request. Come on now. You understand what I'm saying, that selfish part of you that says, I want to know all the gooey details. And Paul doesn't do that, but he does call them out by name. 
And again, that would be a wonderful church service. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the Church of Philippi as they're reading this letter from Paul and he's just telling them all about good things and they need to do this and love the Lord. And then they get toward the end of the letter and, he, and the guy who's reading it just pauses. You know, the guy who's reading, he's like, I'm not going to be the enemy number one of all these ladies. This isn't happening. And he's there and he's like, I need to do this. So he goes through it. He reads their names and they're back there sinking down in their pew, you know, because, you know, they had pews back in first. Anyway, they're sinking down in their pew there, just sulking down. And he, he calls them out by name and he says, listen, there, there are two ladies in this church that are having a conflict with one another. There's some type of issue that's going on between Iodius and Sentici. And he calls out another lady named Clement and says, Clement apparently was like their best friend. And so he says, and the other ladies in the church and all you believers, y'all need to deal with this problem. Now, we haven't addressed this and, and maybe it needs to be preached on. So I'll say something about it here real fast. One day, God will equip the church, listen, to rule and reign with him right. in the millennial kingdom. Now, if God is going to use us to rule and reign with him in the most perfect world that has ever existed as far as human governments are concerned, since the fall of the Garden of Eden, you're talking about the, the best thing that has ever existed. It makes all these other world empires look like a joke where he will rule with a rod of iron and there will be perfectness and it, mm, it's going to be awesome and we're going to rule and reign with him. So Paul actually would address in other parts of the Bible and say, if we're going to do that, then surely we can handle interpersonal problems within our church today without going to the courts of the lost world. Now, I think that's kind of even what he's talking about there in verse number two, when he starts to call these names out and he says, brethren, yoke fellow, those that are in the Lord, let's deal with this problem. We don't need to go out and get lawyers and get judges and get all this involved because one day we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Surely we can handle a little squabble within a New Testament church. Hey, that's a good encouragement for us, isn't it? If there's problems between believers, if there's issues between brethren, we ought to be able to work those things out without going outside the church and bringing in third parties and, and all kinds of deliberation to whatever the problem might be. But anyways... Uh, so here he comes to these two ladies and says, we need to work out this problem. We need to work out this issue. And the primary reason is, is that the name of Christ and the gospel is of greater importance than whatever is going on between you two. Now, that's a good reminder from us of whatever we might think about the New Testament church or the problems that exist within Bible Baptist. Are they really greater than the unity of the church to preach the gospel of Christ? Now, you might, yes, they are, but be careful, be guarded with that, that, that mindset. I, I would encourage you to go back and read Philippians 2 because Philippians 2 would tell us that Christ had the mindset where he was equal with God, but he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and even died on the cross. And if we think we are too big or our problem is too important to let it go, he would remind us in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Yeah, so we just reminded of that. It's not more important than the gospel. So he goes through and he says uh, in verse number four, he basically says, here's how we're going to have a, a remedy for this problem. 
a prescription for conflict. So you go to the doctor and you've got some problem and they give you a prescription for that problem. Okay, Paul says there's a problem of conflict. Two ladies are fighting. What is the prescription for that? So the first one he gives in verse number four is rejoice. Now, again, this is different than happiness. That's why he says rejoice in the Lord. Joy can only be found in the Lord because he's consistent and constant, never change. Everything else is all over the place. It's up and down and up and down and up and down. But Christ is consistent and constant. So rejoice in the Lord. Again. Why? Because they weren't listening the first time. Again, I say rejoice. Man, it's a great reminder for us. Why would he bring, well, how is that a prescription for conflict? It's hard to be mad at an insignificant problem when you're staring at an awe-inspiring God. Amen. It really is it's almost impossible, regardless of what wrong someone has done to you, it's almost impossible to get in the flesh and get angry and mad about that and respond incorrectly if your eyes are on the Lord and you are rejoicing in Him. So the, the plea and the cry even last week was this, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, spend some time with Him. Because here's the encouragement, you can rejoice in the Lord always. It's not like a hit and miss thing. You can be in that state of mind perpetually. Well, how do you do that? Well, here he goes again. The preacher's going to talk about daily devotions. <laughs> Read your Bible and pray. Well, yeah, I mean, that really is where it's at. Not as a duty, but a delight. All right. And so now he comes to verse number five, and he talks about this, moderation. Now, for fear of causing confusion and offense tonight, I'm going to talk about the fact that God has called you to be a moderate. Understand that I am not talking about a political moderate, and I'm talking about being a biblical moderate. Disclaimer out of the way. Okay, so what, what, what does moderation mean? What, what does it mean to be moderate? Well, to be in moderation is to not be way extreme on one end or way extreme on the other. In our highly um, volatile political system right now, just to use this as an illustration, there are terms used like far right, the alt-left. And then there's those who would maybe fall in the middle that they would call moderates. Okay? Now, we understand what that term means. It means that they're neither right nor left, but they're in the middle. At least that's what the term is supposed to mean politically. Now, move apart from that political thought process to a biblical realm where there's this. Don't go too far off the right hand or too far off the left hand, but there's a sense of moderation. Well, what is that? not being knee-jerky. When something happens, instead of flying off this way or flying off that way, instead, keeping it in the center of the road. Uh, when I learned how to drive uh, here in the Wise County area, we lived real close to 2123. And uh, they've widened that road since then. But when I was a teenager, that road was about like 10 feet wide. You know, it, it was super narrow. There was no shoulder. It was just the lane and the other lane, no, nothing there. No rumble strips or nothing. And so you get on that road, you know, there's rock trucks all around here and all that. And my parents really were putting uh, their hands or their life in a teenager's hands and were, their prayer life got fixed real fast. 
So, you know, I'm 15 years old trying to learn how to drive and, and out there driving these country roads. First time Evie came down here, her dad told her, you can't drive, it's too dangerous on these roads because there's no center stripe. And I'm like, center stripe? Who ever heard of such a dumb thing, right? You country roads. Well, you drive in the middle till somebody's coming and you get over just far enough to let them by. That's how you drive in the country. But her dad said it was too dangerous, right? Anyway, so... <clears throat> Uh, you know, you learn that, but here's, here's the thing I learned. When I was a teenager driving on 20 to 23, you'd have a vehicle coming to you, and here's the tendency. You want to start leaning over a little bit to the right because that car looks like it's about to hit you when you're first learning how to drive. Well, you're driving on 20 to 23, and there ain't no shoulder, and you start veering just a little bit to the right, and then here's your parent and their vehicle that you're about to totally bust the front end up on, and you're running into the ditch. <laughs> Get back on the road, Right? But you obviously don't want to go the other direction either and overcorrect. Why? Head-on collision. Now, here's the thing. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's a problem being too far left and being too far right. Well, what do you need to do? Stay right down the line. Yep. Moderation. That, that's what Paul's asking them to be. Be moderate. There's something that happens. A car's coming. Well, don't go off the road, but don't take them head-on. Stay right down the line and with thought and consideration, do what only Christ can help you do. The Lord is at hand Amen. because it's not easy to be moderate to all men Amen. and for that to be evident to all men. Right. You know what I found? Moderation is easy when I'm observing other people that need to be moderate. <clears throat> yeah, that person did something dirty to you, didn't they? Let's pray for them, you know. But when it happens to me, when it happens to me, it's a different story. Moderation then is hard. So let me give you a real simple definition of what moderation means, the biblical term moderation. Here you go. Key part of the sermon. Charitable to the faults of others. Biblical word moderation means this. Charitable to the faults of others. Charitable, what's that mean? Well, giving. Yeah. Giving space, giving time. To what? The faults of others. You mean when people do wrong things? Yes. When they treat me wrong? Yes. Be charitable, gracious in giving toward the faults of other people. That's what the word moderation means. So he says here, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. So here's where this starts to be rubber meeting the road, difficult, <clears throat> so challenging, is Eodius does something dirty to Sintichi, and now she has had a knee-jerk reaction. I don't know what happened, but whatever took place and whatever happened that Eodius did to Sintichi or Sintichi did to Eodius, the response and the reaction was not that of thoughtfulness and careful consideration and prayer, it was an emotional response that was not charitable to the fault of the other, but instead was vindictive to satisfy and satiate the anger that they felt in their heart. Now, it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, Yodius and Sintashi ought to have done better. But then we can look at our own life and we can think about the things that people do to us, the inconsiderate word the taking advantage, somebody being inconsiderate with their actions or their words. And the list can go on and on and on. 
And I'm telling you, when you get a group of people that are as diverse as Bible Baptist Church is, and we're all trying to do this Christian life together, and, and newsflash, none of us have arrived, including this guy right here, put me at the first of the list, amen, that we're all on the, this journey together of trying to be more like Christ, but we stumble and fall and we struggle along the way, is there is going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be downright nastiness that's done from one person toward another. Not even a misunderstanding. Not even a time in which somebody misstepped or said the wrong thing. But there'll be times when people actually take advantage or do you dirty right here in this church. I wish I could tell you that doesn't happen. But come on now. You've been around this church. You've been around the people of this church long enough to know better than that. You've been around this pastor to know better than that. That sometimes there are missteps and sometimes there are intentional steps that are done that can cause harm. Misunderstandings can get blown out of proportion pretty fast, can't they? Amen. They really can. Something that was said that then wasn't clarified. Something that was done that was misunderstood. And if we're not careful, we can allow those things to run rampant in our mind. And we can create a scenario that really isn't the reality or the truth, but we start to spin it. And create a scenario of our own making and our own choosing. And before long, we've wound up way off in the ditch somewhere. Or we're about to hit a head-on collision. And so Paul is imploring them, simply saying this. Be moderate. Be charitable towards the fault of another. Well, what does that look like? Well, charitable toward the fault of another would look something like this. <clears throat> Joseph has got 11 brothers. Ten of them are scumbags. Is that what the Bible calls them? That's the David Pugh interpretation. <clears throat> well, what did they do? Well, they hated their younger brother because their daddy loved him more than he loved them. And so they devised a plan where they were going to kill him. And then the oldest brother, Reuben, stepped in and said, I don't think this is a good idea. Let's just throw him in a pit. And then we'll figure out what to do with him. See some people coming by and they decide we're going to sell them into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Take that coat of many colors, slash it all up. Now, listen, it's easy because we know the end of the story, but Joseph does not. He's 17 years old and his whole life has just been turned upside down. He's sold into slavery. He goes to a place where he is accused of raping a woman that he did not do. He is thrown into prison where he is interpreting dreams and he is forgotten and spends years in prison, falsely accused. He then is brought before Pharaoh and has to interpret these crazy dreams. And then he's placed second in command over all of Egypt. Now listen, here's the crazy thing. Years later, decades later, there are ten guys that show up at his doorstep begging him for food during a famine. And at that moment, the second most powerful man in the world, Joseph had every ability in his power to reach out to those 10 guys and say, you're dead. Payback time has come. But if you know the story like I know it, what did he do? Moderation. That's what he did. Moderation. He went and wept right when Benjamin came and all that took place. And then he said this in chapter 50 after his daddy died. Listen, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
Where does that spirit come from? How does that happen? Moderation. Charitable to the faults of another person. Well, preacher, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You're right, I probably don't. But have you sought clarity? Maybe they didn't mean what you think they meant. Man, they've just been ignoring me. I I don't know if so they like me. You know, I show up at church and it feels like they just kind of avoid me. Like They don't really like me. Well, be charitable to the faults of another person. It might be that they're not trying to intentionally avoid you. It might just be that they're new or nervous or introvert. Introverts say amen, right? (laughs) That might be more the personality case there of what's going on with them. Or it might be that there is something intentionally going on there. But here's the thing. Be charitable to the faults of others. Here's the reason why. Because the gospel is too important. Amen. The gospel's too important. The message that we carry forth to this lost and dying world cannot have interpersonal conflict getting in the way. So here's what we need to do. Be moderate. Be charitable. Be, be forgiving. Be kind. You say, well, I, I, they've done so much wrong to me that I actually consider them my enemy. You say, in the same church? Yeah. There are people within independent Baptist churches that can get that spirit towards other members of the church. That they can get the attitude where they say, they are my enemy. Well, if you hold that posture in your heart, that you hold something so much in your heart that they did or said, justifiably or not, that you look at it and you say, I consider them my enemy. Well, let's consider the words of Christ that says, love your enemies. Do good to them which despitefully use you and persecute. And do all manner of evil against you. Heap coals of fire on their head is what the book of Proverbs would say. A lot of people think, oh yeah, I'm going to get them. But the culture, that's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about providing warmth and giving them God's speed and sending them on their way. Listen, God always responds evil with good. Why? Because what they're doing that's evil, even if it is legitimately evil against you, God can use that evil for His good. But a lot of that depends on your Joseph response of moderation. Be moderate to all. Why? That'll solve a lot of conflicts right there, won't it, church? Could you imagine having a whole New Testament church where everybody within the church thought the best of one another? I know she didn't mean it that way. I know he did that, but that's not how he normally is. He didn't mean it that way. Charitable to the faults of others. Moderate towards the problems and issues that can arise. Let your moderation be known unto some men. All men. Now here's the most comforting thought about this, and I'm done. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Well, Paul understood this. Moderation is not possible in the flesh. There ain't no way. There ain't no way. Why? Because the human body says eye for eye, tooth for tooth is the most limited thing I'm going to do. Because if you take my eye, I want to kill you. The law says eye for eye, but Jesus said, let them take your cloak also. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that? It's only a God thing. It's only when the Lord is at hand. So here's the thing. When we are rejoicing in the Lord, moderation becomes possible toward all men Because we are close to where God wants us to be. You kind of see the progressive nature of this. You want to solve conflict in your life or conflict in a church. Step number one, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Step number two, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord's at hand. Be moderate, gracious toward the faults of others. Let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation here tonight.